The Athletic. Guys, sorry, live on Sky News. Your reaction to the win? We lost. Qatar lessons. It's day six of the World Cup and the hosts are out faster than a fan wearing a rainbow T-shirt. Elsewhere, Wales mourn again, Iran look born again, and England make us yawn again in a goalless draw with a fine-looking USA side. Also, Enna Valencia has crazy stats. We round it all up and look ahead to Saturday's matches, including Argentina trying to save their tournament against Mexico. It's totally at the World Cup, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Day six of the Qatar World Cup. Hello, listener, and hello today's Totally at the World Cup cast, Tom Williams and Liam Tharm. Hello. Hello, James. Hello. What a day it's been. I mean, I know I say that every day, but today, what a day it's been. We, we had the earliest ever World Cup host to exit Qatar. We also had the latest ever World Cup match-winning goal in that Wales-Iran game that we're not supposed to mention, Tom. Yes. Mm. Yes, we did. Although... I mean, I, I mean, technically the winning goal, but there wasn't another goal scored even there was. later, which yeah. kind of undermines that stat slightly. Do you think? But, but I mean, it's still a stat. I would still say valid. so. Yeah. What did you think of today, Lim? A lot went on today. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the Iran Wales game. It was uh, two two teams. I'm sure we'll get onto it. But those games sometimes where there's not always a huge amount of quality and it can descend a bit into chaos. I think can be really good spectacles. Excellent, excellent. We, we we're sitting here having just witnessed. Another game between two teams, but there perhaps the similarities in uh, the USA-England game, which was a little bit short on quality, and what quality there was was mostly in a, a dark blue USA uh, jersey. We'll, we'll be getting uh, our reaction to that and an American take on it all from the Albite Stadium very, very shortly. But let's just run through the results on this Friday. In Group A, first uh, set of second-round matches, of course, these. Uh, Senegal beat Qatar 3-1, and with Netherlands... Uh, drawing 1-1 with Ecuador later in the day in that group. That means the host Qatar are now out of their own party. Mm. In Group B, Iran beat Wales 2-0 with two late, late goals. The first in the 98th minute, that's a record, and then another in the 111th because this is Qatar. Uh, a landmark game, that, by the way. It also produced the first red card and the first goal from outside the box of this World Cup so far. The other match was the USA clash with England, which was the fifth goalless draw we've had at this tournament. Uh, just on the subject of Iran, their performance today in Qatar, here's a tweet from Goalscorer Challenge. Having seen a bit more of Iran and Qatar today, it's clear that there's a big gulf between them. Hey, <laughs> yeah, it's good. it's good. All right then. All right then. England, USA. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Get the chance that we're getting today. So let's just make sure of one thing that after 90 minutes, they know who we are. All right, that was Gerard Butler in Game of Their Lives, stroke Miracle Match, the dramatic reenactment of the famous US 1 0 win over England in miniature rice. I don't think anyone's going to be making a movie of today's clash at the Albite Stadium. Liam, what did you take away from this encounter? It was interesting. I was very much viewing it with, I think, more of an England um, hat on. And I think a lot of people had put a lot of stock into England putting six past Iran, um, which was a, a good display, but very clinical. And I think a very different test. They were very high possession again today. And I think that helped the US really against Wales, who sat off them a lot more. Um, England turned the ball over a lot, tried to be more attacking. 
and they just lost possession more. So it gave uh, the US more chance to transition. I thought Pulisic uh, in particular got a lot of chances to drive at the ball and um, definitely their sort of biggest attacking threat today. Um, but overall, I think both sides had enough to you know have opportunities but not really create too many clear-cut chances. Okay, the draw is not bad for England. It just means that they need a point now against Wales on the final group game to uh, be assured of qualification. I guess there are two ways of reading this performance. It was either England just playing for the draw that they needed or England, after a terrific result against Iran, suddenly falling back into the the dark, dismal ways of the summer, being that Ferrari driven at 15 miles an hour. Which do you think it was, Tom? Yeah, I mean, a bit of both, I suppose. I mean, in the context of the tournament, it's not a bad result at all. Um, you know, the US are dangerous opponents who who played very well. Um, I think the fact that England wanted to play through them probably suited the US better than than Wales had because Wales initially sat off them and then just went very direct. And I think that US midfield is is principally set up to, to shut down teams that want to play football, which is what England were tentatively trying to do. But that said, England are still top of the group. A draw against Wales, which is sadly well within their powers, uh, takes them into the next round. Um, and if we go back to uh, last summer, Euro 2020, England's second game was a nil-nil draw against Scotland, after which they got booed off and the papers uh, were, were full of doom and gloom about how, how poorly they played and how well Scotland had done. And we all know how that tournament worked out. That said, after all the, the, the you know, sort of um, euphoria is probably too strong a word, but after all the positivity after the Iran game, that was a kind of, you know, bringing bringing things back down to earth. It wasn't a particularly impressive England performance. They they just seemed to lack an attacking spark completely. Harry Kane was 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 practically invisible. I, mm. I, I wondered whether he was worrying a bit about his ankle um, because he, he didn't seem to be on it in quite the same way he had been in, in that game against Iran. And the players who performed so well against Iran, you know, Jude Bellingham, Bakayo Saka, Raheem Sterling, all very anonymous. Gareth Southgate leaves it late to make changes. So... Yeah, not a particularly encouraging performance, but in the context of the tournament, nothing to really worry about, I don't think. All right. Well, let's get a US take on the match at the Albite Stadium because there, sitting actually waiting for us in the press box, is Paul Tenorio of The Athletic. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. First of all, this game here was about, I guess, two things. One was points for qualifying and the other was respect. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought for sure the respect part was there. The way the U.S. dominated the game for the majority of the game. After the first 15 minutes or so, the U.S. was the better team. And there were some stretches late there where certainly I think the U.S. slowed and England had a grip and a chance to win it with Harry Kane. But I thought the way they asserted themselves in the game, uh, the way they played, the way they attacked, it was really, really positive if you're a U.S. fan. And very disappointing not to get a result because now you've got to go into the group finale against a... Uh, uh, probably a very optimistic, high-flying, confident Iran team needing a win. Mm. Although Iran w- weren't quite so impressive in their opening game, so we'll see how uh, how they are in that game next Tuesday. Uh, equally, USA, who'd faded so dramatically in the second half of their clash with Wales, in this second half, as you say, looked much the better side. What, what was the difference for you? Well, I, I thought just um, they played more confidently, they had a better game plan. I thought, I mean, I, I went back and rewatched the second half against Wales and they had moments in transition where they just weren't connecting those final passes. They were better at that today, but the same problem uh, uh, against Wales as against England. They have these chances and they don't put them away. One goal against Wales and a draw, no goals against England and a draw. And I think both times you feel like at the end of the day, you've left four points on the table if you're the U.S. 
Paul, there was a lot of talk before this game about the progress of the United States with the target, not just of the last 16, but also the tournament coming up in three and a half years' time, which USA and Canada will be joint hosting. How much progress are you seeing uh, from the team in that direction? Well, it's, it's a very young team, and so there's been a lot of progress made for this group, uh, second youngest group at this World Cup. And I think when you see the, the players that are being sold out of MLS, when you see the level that these players are playing at now in Europe, it's clear that there's a lot of progress being made. And, and this group has a huge responsibility on its shoulders to show well here, for sure, and then to build on that at home at a World Cup where maybe for the first time ever you can start talking about how far can this U.S. team go. Usually it's how do you get through the group stage and see what happens. With a group like this, you start saying, well, how far can you go at home? So, um, you know, I think this, this first World Cup here for these players is a measuring stick, a chance to learn, a chance to gain experience and to, to try to gain some positives here. And then you take that and you hope you build on it in four years' time. Okay, well, with any luck in 2026, you'll draw England in the group again because England never beat you at a World Cup. That's true. You know, as much as they love to see the U.S. in the group, they never, they never find a way to get three points out of them, do they? Paul Tenorio. You can read loads of reaction and content about this game, what it means, etc., and so on, ramifications, permutations on theathletic.com. Liam, uh, Phil Foden, why not? It's an interesting one. He doesn't seem massively uh, in favour with Southgate, does he? Um, I'm not quite sure it was the game for him, per se. I think he brought on, he obviously brought on Grealish, he brought on Rashford, sort of similar sort of impact subs that have worked um, against Iran. But again, they looked quite tentative. There were moments where towards the end, Grealish won the ball or recovered it sort of deep in the defensive third, you know, imploring him to take up some yards, sort of try and spring a counter-attack and uh, seem very sort of content to keep the ball. I think it's a system thing as well. Um, Foden is very much a left footer that likes to play on the left and I think does his best work there for City. Um, in Southgate's system currently, he's got a right footer on the on the left in Raheem Sterling and Saka is a left footer on the right. So he really wants those wingers to come inside, I think, make space for the fullbacks. Um, so possibly whether we've seen now sort of a system switch, particularly Wales use a back five. Um, so whether he wants to sort of match them up to try and get some more attackers in, he might go for Foden in a more advanced position. I think if you go back to Euro 2020 and look at the starting lineups that Southgate has picked, he always picks Kane, he always picks Sterling, he usually picks Mason Mount as well. That means there's only one attacking role left in the team. And um, I looked this up because someone challenged me on Twitter, so I thought I'm going to I'm going to slam them down with actual cold hard data. Um, and Foden and Saka have ne have never started uh, a game together in attack for England. So they're basically all the, the players we haven't mentioned so far are all competing for one role in the sense that Kane and Sterling and Mount are basically nailed on. You can you know, throw Grealish into the mix as well as one of those players competing for that that one other attacking role. And sadly for Phil Foden and for Phil Foden fans, of whom there are many because he's an absolutely wonderful footballer, he is quite far down that list. Um, and it felt like the kind of game that was crying out for a player of, of Foden's inventiveness and, and, and wit and creativity and you know yes you've got Jack Grealish who came on and you've got Marcus Rashford who, who brings more of a direct goal threat but yeah unfortunate not to see Foden. Mm. So England just need a point against Wales next time? They can actually afford to lose as well England Ooh. and go through and lose relatively heavily because really? of that, that goal glut against Iran ah. just to give you even more 
gives to give England fans even, even more, <laughs> you know, mm. confidence going. All right, USA though very much definitely need to get three points against Iran. Iran, who were victorious earlier today against Wales in what was possibly the game of the tournament so far. That's next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by Live Score Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the Live Score Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on the Athletic. This is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Daniel Story describing this one as all of sport in one game. Agony, ecstasy, pain, grief, protest, joy, resentment. I mean, he goes on for a bit, but I mean, there's everything. And it did really have everything, didn't it? Including heartbreak for Tom Williams. Yes. Yeah, it did. I did find myself thinking um, as the game wore on that if I wasn't feeling quite as nervous uh, as as I was at that point and, and so consumed by stress that it would probably be quite an enjoyable game to watch for the neutral because it was it was quite an open game I mean I think Iran were were, were worthy winners in the end I don't think you could really complain about that I mean the, the the real frustration for for Wales fans was that Wales just didn't turn up um we you know there was a positive half-time reaction in that opening game against the US and you you thought well that's a bit of the Wales that you know we've got to know and love these these last few years and the late equaliser that Gareth Bale scored from the penalty spot, but Wales just didn't show up at mm. all today. Iran, um, by contrast, looked like a team transformed from their opening game. Yeah, I think that was maybe a, a slightly false reflection on them against England. Um, a really, really good side. Carlos Curis, of course, has got them largely playing quite defensively, but um, generally really, really good at that. So good, as we saw today, at sort of sitting off teams and can very much hit them on the counter-attack. And that really just became the pattern of the second half was wave after wave. Um, and there were points where you know the, the Welsh midfield was really stretched. I thought um, they probably should have made some subs earlier to try and control that because it, it felt like it was... Um, not quite waiting to happen, but they were just allowing too many of these transitions, too many of these counter-attacks, and um, eventually they sort of got broken down. Um, mm. But I, I think they needed to do something to tweak that earlier. OK. Helping that breakdown was the fact that uh, Wayne Hennessy picked up a red card. Uh, Hennessy pulling off another tribute to a famous German, if you will, with his Schumacher-esque <laughs> tackle on... Uh, another evil German. Yeah, on uh, Mediterrami. Um And eventually got the red for that. Uh, belatedly, but he, he he walked. And then, even then, it still took until, as we mentioned earlier, the 98th minute before that poor clearance from Joe Allen allowed uh, Cheshmi 
to beat Danny Ward. And uh, away they go. And, and, and then another one came afterwards because by that point, Wales were caught trying to, trying to find an equaliser. Yeah, I mean, by that point of the game, I think that the, the the feeling from a Wales perspective was that we had rode our luck quite a lot, notably in that sort of seven-second passage of play where Iran hit the post twice and then Sardar Azmoun hits the rebound against Wayne Hennessy from a distance of about three yards. And I think at that point, a nil-nil would have, would have felt like a, a decent outcome in the circumstances. So yeah, when that that I mean, beautifully struck shot by by Chesme flashed in, it, it it did feel like a yeah, it did feel like a a bit of a sickener. And at the same time, you you can't begrudge Iran having this having this moment, having this victory, knowing what they're going through. And I, you know, I, I still find you know watching watching them sing or not sing the anthem and, 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 you know, sort of trying to get a sense of how the crowd are reacting. I still don't fully understand what is, what is going on, but it's obviously an extremely tense, extremely uh, uncomfortable situation for their, for their players to be in. Um, And, you know, that, that kind of explosion of joy at the end, you know, even, even as a, even as a very disappointed Wales fan, you, you couldn't begrudge them that. Right, and a lot of the Welsh fans in the stadium were actually applauding the Iranian players at, at the end of, as well, which was lovely to see. But on that note, of course, this game coming against the backdrop of, of the protests back home and the, the, the brutal repression that's, that's, that's going on of the protesters. Early today, I spoke to comedian Omid Jalili, who's among the UK's most vocal Team Meli supporters, but also one of the most uh, outspoken opponents of the Iranian government's crackdown. And he gave us his thoughts on what was essentially a bittersweet day. First of all, purely as a football fan, how did you feel at around 11.58 UK time this morning? (laughs) I lost my mind completely. I was in a hotel room and I started screaming. And you have to know, these, these are all very happy, sad, confusing times for fans of the Iranian national football team. We call them Team Melli. Team Melli means the national team. Now, what's happened is that's been conflated now a little bit with what's going on, the protests in Iran. And we do see them as two separate entities, the Islamic regime of Iran and Iran. They're a terrorist regime. I mean, there's no, there's no question, and no one's going to stop saying that until, until they're gone. So, but we had a situation today. The national anthem. There's been a lot made about the way they sing or don't sing the national anthem. Today, what we saw was a group of players who were moving their lips and were pretending to sing a national anthem. I've just seen Ecuador sing there. They were belting out their national anthems. They've obviously been told, "You better move your lips at least." You have to understand with a regime like this, they're being threatened, their families are being threatened. So they're going through the motions when it comes to paying lip service to the odd thing they have to do nationally. But it's very clear they're all anti-regime. They are playing for the people. And we saw it today. I mean, I know that the stadium was hot, it's 30 degrees, which suits the Iranian players than the Welsh. Um, but still, what we saw was a proper performance. And we we didn't see a performance against England because the fans were jeering this Iranian team because they saw they were associated with the Islamic regime. And mm. if you can imagine playing when, you, when your own fans are screaming at you, you don't really have much of a heart. I was amazed by the performance today. And I have to say, I was very happy. And James, I'll just say this one last thing. I'm sorry I'm monologuing, but, <laughs> um, but this is very important to say this. We now feel 
that the longer and as this team stays in the World Cup, the more we can shine a light on what's been going on because what's been going on in Iran is horrific. It's been going on for nearly, it's nearly it's third month now and it hasn't really achieved the global um, news that it should have been getting, but it is now. Right. And I think that's also something to do with the Iranian football team. Hundreds of deaths from, from protests today. The UN announcing they're going to be sending investigators to, to, to try and further shed light on, on the situation there. And you mentioned the, the dangers, the pressures that the players are under, and that was underlined just yesterday when we heard news of what one former, uh, one of their international teammates being arrested for tarnishing the reputation of the national team because he said he supported the, the protests. The, the captain of the team that's there in Qatar, Hajj Safi, uh, has publicly uh, backed the protests as they should know we are with them and we support them. How much do you think those messages are meaning to people back in Iran? How much is that getting through? Not much, unfortunately. From what I can see, um, what's happening now, there's some awful images of these Basijis and security forces standing on top of armoured vehicles waving the Iranian flag. And these are the same people who, from tomorrow, uh, will be killing more people. As as we speak, they're killing people in uh, the, the Kurdistan regions of, of Iran, so it is disgusting a lot of us that they are hijacking this because it's 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 not their team. And this is the problem you have when there are these revolutions happening. The people we're trying to get rid of, they're celebrating too. But it's clear. It's it's clear to me anyway. And also the protests they've made before have been silent. Sadar Azamun, who you saw hit the post today before mm. the, the, the right back hit the hit the other post, he plays for Bayer Leverkusen and he came out very clearly saying he was against the regime and, and denounced what was going on. Why are you killing people? This is ridiculous. And he was made to apologize and take the post down. The Iranian team, before their warm-up against Senegal, they all wore these tracksuits before the um, announcement to cover up, before the anthem, to cover up the, the Islamic regime flag. So they've done, as far as I'm concerned, they've done enough to show that they're not with the Islamic regime. And I think that's, that's, that is actually a message that's not really getting through to the people of Iran because whenever I tweet something about them, a lot of tweets are for the team, but there's a lot of people saying, well, how dare you? This is not our team. They don't represent us. So I don't think it's fully getting through, but, but I think that podcasts like this and more people speaking out, I think the message will get through. Okay. Uh, Omid, as a, as a fan of, of, of the Iran team, as you say, it's confusing times, but... They have an enormous chance now to reach the knockouts for the first time. How do you feel about that? Yeah, very excited. I mean, <laughs> they did beat <laughs> America in 1998. And I remember going bananas when that happened, but they didn't qualify. They just beat USA and that was enough. And, you know, and if, they, if, if you told me, would you, if you beat America and then, you, you know, you don't go through, was that enough? Most Iranian fans would say that's enough. It's not enough now. And look, this, this World Cup is political. Now we've banned Russia. It's a political World Cup. Iran should have been banned. There's no question. For a number of reasons, they, they violated many FIFA statutes. But now that they're there, and if they are doing something for the people and to highlight the protests, then it's even... I can't imagine what would happen to that country if they get through to the second phase. I'm not saying it'll stop the protests. And I'm not saying that the regime will topple. I'm just saying... It's going to get tasty. That's all um, I can say. Yeah. And at the very least, it will bring a bit of happiness in a really, really dark time uh, for the country. Omid, brilliant. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. Great talking to you, mate. Cheers. Liam, what do you think then? What, what, are, what are Team Melly's chances 
of beating USA? I think it's a really, really exciting game. Obviously, there's I know there's underlying narratives with it, um, but star-wise, they're very clashy. Um, you've got USA, who, as they showed against Wales, primarily like to be a high-possession side. They like to be expansive and play lots of passes, whereas Iran are really content to sit off teams mm. and hit them in transition, which they showed against Wales. And I think that's the perfect thing at the World Cup when you get these different clashing styles can make for really exciting games because they're going to look to exploit each other where each other are weak and vulnerable. Um, and there's going to be lots of good individual battles going on as well. All right, but that's the kind of team that USA struggle against, no? As they mm. did indeed against Wales in the opening game. Yeah, exactly that. I think we saw tonight playing against England how they do benefit when teams are more expansive. Um, so whether they try to sort of tweak their approach and maybe they try and go with less possession, I think it's going to create a real headache really for, for Greg Berhalter in particular. Well, something you saw, something I noticed watching Iran today was the sophistication of their attacking transitions. Um, and <laughs> as a fan of the team they were playing against, it's actually quite terrifying how quickly they suddenly switch onto being on the front foot when they when they recover the ball, you know, in their defensive third. And that wasn't something we really saw too much against uh, against England. And yeah, it, it's something that they will, you know, will probably have opportunities to do against, uh, against the US. And will their goalkeeper, uh, first-choice goalkeeper, now be back from concussion protocol as I well? I don't know. It's a very good question because Hosseini, who was in for mm. him today, looked excellent, I yeah, thought. But he can't throw the ball 70 yards. That's true. That is true. All right, Iran against USA is coming up at 7 o'clock UK time next Tuesday, while at the same time you'll have uh, Wales against England. Tom, 64 years and it could be all all over with with that game. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, there is still hope. Uh, and, And for Wales fans who are nostalgic for a time when our qualification campaigns would basically be over, barring mathematical impossibilities or mathematical improbabilities um this is a little taste of what that was like mm. uh, in that we can still go through but we need to beat england uh, and we need a draw in the other game and those are the only circumstances uh, in which we'll qualify and just to sort of make a a wider point about wales i think something that 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 really came through watching that game today was that something that that we've been very grateful for in in the last few years as you know, Wales fans has, has been this sense that the Euro 2016 generation, albeit you know getting on a little bit, are all still there, are all still hanging around, and and they're they're in place to pass the baton on to this new generation of younger players, your Nico Williamses, your Brennan Johnsons, etc. And I think what we actually saw in that game against Iran today was that that Euro 2016 generation it looked very spent. I mean. You can understand why Rob Page would be reluctant to substitute Aaron Ramsey or Gareth Bale because they are, Bale in particular, and as we said on the podcast on Monday, moments players capable of of just producing a goal from nowhere. But they were both passengers today. And, you know, sort of modern international football, in any sort of elite standard of football, you can't afford to carry two players around with you. And that's what wales were doing and yeah if this if this is the end of our of our world cup i think it'll be interesting to see what role those two players in particular are going to play you know once we start looking to the qualifiers for euro 2024 right indeed okay that was group b group a also had its second set of matches on this friday listener apparently so let's touch on those next Incredible game. When they play with a false nine, it changes everything. A false nine, eh? What's that, then? 
Well, it's, um, <laughs> you, you know, it's what he's, he's a nine, but he's not really a nine in the area, and... Uh... Oh, sorry, I just got to take that. Urgent football question? Call the Athletic Emergency Football Hotline 0800 433 433. News, insights, analysis, The Athletic. Know the game, love the game. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Netherlands Ecuador earlier on on Friday. Ecuador, eh? Do you like a bit of Ecuador, Liam? Mm, very much so. Um, I sort of personally have more allegiances as a Brighton fan with a few uh, Brightonians right. in there. Mm. Um, but I think they're, I think they've benefited particularly from Mane's absence from Senegal, which is, I think they were in a real big shootout, those two countries uh, for second place. And obviously they'll meet now in the final group stage game, mm. um, which again is, is still exciting because either side could win it and go through. But I think they're a nice, they're a very young team, the youngest South American team, I believe, to qualify. Um, a lot of good, exciting, dynamic players, some good 1v1 players, good technical players. They're really well balanced is, is the biggest compliment I can give them. All right. Well, they have a 1-1 draw against Netherlands. They, they picked up some big 1-1 draws of late, done it against Brazil, Argentina. This one here saw the Netherlands taking the lead with a brilliant goal from Cody Gakpo, who's doing a lot of that of late. Uh, an XG, if you're a fan, an XG on that goal of 0.04. So it's quite remarkable that he managed to convert it. Mm. And on his weaker foot as well. On his weaker foot as well. Not much of a weak foot, is it? It's a, when yeah, you can do that, yeah. Yeah, second strong foot. <laughs> the second half wasn't long underway, though, when Ecuador equalised through who else but uh, Ena Valencia. He wasn't this good, was he, when he was at West Ham and at Everton? We haven't we haven't accidentally overlooked sort of one of the great streets won't forget Premier League careers because I have almost no recollection whatsoever well, of the time he spent in the Premier League, and he looks like a, an absolute world beater yeah, in Ecuador and it's, shirt. It's not just now either, because check the stats out. He has scored all of Ecuador's last six World Cup goals, which obviously extends back beyond, before this tournament. In fact, he is the joint top scorer in the World Cup since the 2014 tournament, even though he didn't feature in the 2018 edition. I'm sorry, what? That's decent going. That's not bad. Who's he joint top scorer with? Or are we oh, supposed to guess? Well, have a guess. It's not going to be difficult, Tom. A certain Lionel Messi and a certain Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, yeah. There we go. That's that, remarkable, that, that isn't it? And then, but just as we're saying, just as we've discovered or rediscovered the genius that is Anna Valencia, he goes off injured. He looked pretty distraught about it. We haven't had a verdict yet from medical staff, unless, Tom, you've heard something. Nope. So I guess it's one of those wait and sees. Mm. Uh, Ecuador, as a result of that draw, need a point against Senegal to qualify. What about the Netherlands? What, what, what did you make of their performance in this game? Well, I mean, after Gakpo's goal, mm. um, which was quite nicely constructed as well, Nathan Aki sort of breaks the lines with a pass out from the, the left side of centre-back position and kind of bounces around a bit. Davy Klassen's involved. Gakpo takes over and fizzes that fantastic shot inside the left-hand post from outside the box. 
that was their last shot on target in the game. And and this was noticeable as well in their opening game against against Senegal with Memphis Depay not being fit enough to start matches. In both games, he's, he starts on the bench and, and then come on in the second half. They do really lack an attacking focal point. And there aren't that many goals in the squad. And as talented as Gakpo obviously is, um, he, there's quite a lot of pressure on him to score goals because... You know, okay. You know, Steven Bergwijn is capable of scoring goals as well. But you, you, you know, you take Depay's goals out of that team, um, and you can't really see where the goals are going to come from. And and even when he comes on, because he has played such little football before the tournament, he finds it hard to impose himself. And he barely got a kick after he came on. And you're kind of waiting for him to spark the team, and he just doesn't really seem capable of doing it. I think there's two really interesting things with this Netherlands team. You mentioned about the lack of sort of a, a focal point. Um, he did call up, uh, Van Heijs called up um, Luke de Jong and Vuit Verkhorst. So he's got two real, if you want to call them out and out number nines. And they feel kind of like the same type of profile striker twice, which feels like a weird inclusion to have both and then not to use either of them. Uh, he's got Vincent Janssen who started against Senegal and then didn't play. So it's it's sort of a weirdly constructed forward setup. He switched to this back three um, sort of during the Nations League. Um, you know, got a back three with Cody Gakpo in the 10. It's got these wing backs that look quite imbalanced because you've got Daly Blint on one side, who's a lot more technical but less dynamic, and then Denzel Dumfries, who has about four lungs just running up and down the, the wing the whole time. So it's sort of weirdly constructed but quite functional. And then I think you've got a lot out of uh, Tim Coop Miners and Frankie De Jong in the middle, who are just two, De Jong in particular, outstanding sort of ball progressors. Mm. And um, I think they're just they're really sort of good at getting back to front, whereas they haven't always got the, the cutting edge. But is it adding up to the sum of its parts at the moment for you? Perhaps, I think not, definitely not in these two games. I think they, they had two shots in the whole game, which I think was big credit to Ecuador. I don't want to pretend this performance is in a vacuum, but that right. was, I think, the lowest of a European side since the 1966 World Cup. Good Lord. Which is here's, quite damning. Here's Duncan Alexander with one of his XG stats. Netherlands have less XG after two games than Kiefer Moore does. Wow. I mean, and he's Moore not a is a, a once-in-a-generation player, so yeah. we shouldn't be surprised, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go, Netherlands. Some improvement to do, but they're, they're still on track. Uh, the other game in that group saw Senegal ending Qatar's uh, hopes of knockout football, a 3-1 victory, which did, of course, though, see Qatar getting their first shot on target and their first goal. When they kind of woke, they, they, they woke up late to their own party, if you will, and it was all... And then probably fell asleep again. Probably fell asleep again. They're the first host nation ever to lose two group stage games... They did have that penalty denied, though, early on. And I kind of cynically cast aspersions about what the riverine would be like for the Qatar games before the tournament got underway. That looked brutal. The ref didn't even go and check it on the VAR screen. Still, Senegal, though, you mentioned the fact they're less of a force without uh, Sadio Mane. But still, a 3-1 win. Yeah, they, they did enough. Um, and I think they looked quite good against Netherlands for sort of 80 minutes as well. Mendy came up quite big today with a, a couple of good saves, um, which could be really, really important against Ecuador. So that, that I think, is really going to be, um, you know, in the same we've got in Group B, uh, USA against Iran is going to be a real big um, shootout match between those two. Definitely the same in Group A as well, um, as far as Senegal and Ecuador are concerned. Yeah, Senegal have got to win that. Um, and, you know, obviously... We're approaching the tournament with a lot of really positive momentum as the freshly crowned African champions, having beaten Egypt in that in that qualifying playoff, and then there's the blow of 
you know, losing their talisman Sadio Mane to injury and then conceding those two late goals against the Netherlands. And, you know, they, they do feel like the African team who are most likely to go deep into the tournament if things come together. But from what we've seen of Ecuador in these two games and that crazy stat that that was the first goal they conceded in something like 11 hours of football or something, you know, not an ideal opponent to be coming up against uh, when you are shorn of your attacking talisman as uh, Senegal are. But at least they'll go into that game with, you know, with a win and with momentum. goals under their belts and a bit of momentum. Yeah. And they've got that eclectic lineup. I'm a big fan of this. They've got Abule Dia, who was on the uh, score sheet from Salernitana, and Aniela Spores, Famara Gigio. Mm. Is that that's how it is? Gigio. Formerly Bristol City, I believe. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. And then Sheffield United's Iliman and Die, mm. who three years ago was on the books of Boreham Wood but couldn't make their side in the National League and now he's playing in the There you go. Never World give Cup. up on your dreams. There Absolutely. You there you go. There's something for Wales to cling on to ahead of <laughs> Thanks. That Thanks England game. Should play for Boreham Wood? Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Friday's action. There's more second round fun to come in Saturday's four games. We'll be looking ahead at those next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. A little bit of news in amongst the other injury talk that we've had. Neymar this Friday confirmed as being out for the next two matches for Brazil. That's rotten luck, isn't it? And it always seems to happen to him at World Cups. 2014 got injured in the quarterfinal against Colombia, broke his back, and they did he not fracture a vertebrae or something. And then he had that long-term injury before the tournament in 2018, so he only just kind of made it and didn't really have the impact that uh, Brazil had hoped, and, and now uh, injured against Serbia after they, well, effectively kicked lumps out of him. Yeah, I mean, you know, people do tend to sometimes enjoy Neymar's misfortunes. people sometimes he, he... feel that he might act up a little bit mm. but I think this might be a demonstration that he, he might do that but he also gets kicked around a lot yeah and you know he is one of the most spectacularly entertaining footballers in the game and his style of play is all about drawing challenges and, and taking risks and, and we've seen him suffer injuries like this one you know playing for PSG his first two seasons were ended in you know the middle of the winter because you know he was caught in a, in a rough tackle and you know that was it for his you know his metatarsal or his ankle or whatever and it's it's a great shame um, you know, for the tournament for Brazil as well, having started so impressively with that that win against Serbia, you know, Richarlison getting his two goals and all the positivity around Brazil. That I suppose the one thing you would say is that if there is any squad in the tournament that that is is well placed to um, absorb that kind absorb of absorb that kind of absence, it is Brazil because mm. you know the, the the list of attacking players they have is absurd. But it is it's it's a great it's a great pity for Neymar and yeah, obviously hope that he he will be back uh, if and when they make it to the knockout round. Yeah, 
Just for anyone that's wondering, he got fouled nine times um, against him, which is, you know, sometimes a whole team might get that in a game as collectively you get fouled a number of times. It's a, Not all of them were being kicked extremely hard, but it's quite unpleasant to go through. I imagine psychologically as well, he must get really sort of fed up when he's spoken about, oh, this possibly being his last World Cup and unhappiness around playing. I can't imagine he has a, you know, a great time being kicked by people. Indeed not. OK, Saturday's action then. At 10am UK time, you've got Group D getting underway. Well, the second round of matches anyway. Tunisia-Australia. Australia got beaten by France in their opener. Tunisia had that draw with Denmark. France and Denmark will meet each other at 4 o'clock UK time. The Danes have already beaten the French twice of late in the Nations League. So that's going to be an interesting one. In Group C, Poland take on Saudi Arabia. The incredible Saudi Arabia. Can, can the Saudis earn themselves another national holiday? That's the big question there. That's one o'clock UK time. And then at seven, crikey, Argentina, Mexico. Wow. Who are you looking forward to seeing in action uh, in these Saturday games, Liam, Tom? I'm really looking forward to seeing France-Denmark. It'll oh, yeah. be a really exciting game. I thought France were quite good fun against Australia. Um, they had Tio Hernandez when he came on really high and wide and Pavard was a bit deeper. So I thought they were quite cool in how they were trying to you know, play a bit um, lopsided or a bit wonky. Um, but Denmark obviously said beaten them twice already. Um, mm. I think really exciting. France are a bit more of a back three then. So how they sort of now respond to um, Deschamps going back to a back four will be interesting. But then again, I think Denmark have switched from a back four in the Nations League to a back three. So it's like... Both sides look very flexible, um, dealing with injuries um, and bits and pieces like that. So I think that'll be make for a really good game. Fair enough, Tom. Yeah, I was just going to say, it looks like France are going to make a couple of defensive changes. Rafa Varane's probably going to come in for Ibrahima Kanate at centre-back. And it sounds like Jules Koundé is going to be picked instead of Benjamin Pavard, who was very blatantly at fault for the one goal that Australia got in that opening game. And he was generally felt to be... In an era of extremely dynamic fullbacks, a very undynamic fullback. But sadly, France, um, and at a time when England have got about 15 or 16 exceptionally good right backs, France mm. don't really have any good right backs. And they've tested Jules Koundé out in the past at right back, mm. and he hasn't really convinced. So that's a bit of a, a problem position. But it looks like Deschamps is going to give him a run out at the very least. There you go. That's four o'clock. Seven o'clock then. It is Argentina and Mexico as Scaloni's side try and rescue their World Cup after one of the all-time huge tournament upsets. Four acts continuing from that defeat. Another loss at the hands of Mexico would be catastrophic. We're joined now by Sebastian Garcia, who's a sports journalist in Buenos Aires. The last time Argentina were beaten in the opening match of a World Cup was 1990 and you still went on to make the final. However, were you to lose against Mexico, that could be it. Yeah, it's uh, it could be game over. Uh, I don't even want to think about uh, the, the, the prospect of uh, losing against Mexico on, on Saturday, which could very well happen. I guess a lot will depend on the, on the reaction, the psychological aspect, the mental... Uh, bounce back uh, ability from the team and one of the things that we are thinking about is whether Scaloni will make a lot of changes um, I for one not only I think he won't be making a lot of changes but also I think he shouldn't be making a lot of changes and that is completely opposite to the example you just gave me because after the Cameroon defeat there were five changes and the, the team completely changed from the first game to the second one. And then 
The second one was uh, against the USSR and a goalkeeper got fractured. You know, it was one uh, really bad thing happening because you, you lost your starting goalkeeper, the World Cup winning goalkeeper from 86, uh, Pumpido. But he got replaced by Sergio Goycochea and he became this penalty kick expert and he won two shootouts and Argentina made it all the way to the final, as you mentioned. So, you know, let's hope for a bounce back from the team without anybody getting fractured, <laughs> of course, and see if we can uh, find the rhythm and go back to the basics because that's what everybody thinks Argentina should be doing. Go back to the basics, try to play the same way that we've been playing for 36 and beating games with the Copa America uh, trophy and the Finalissima title against Italy uh, at Wembley. So uh, I, I still think there's a lot of... Uh, upside from Argentina and that we shouldn't be changing a lot. Sebastian, there was so much talk internationally about how this could be Messi's World Cup. Was that something that people in Argentina really bought into? And as such, if it was to go wrong against Mexico, how big a blow would it be to you? Oh my God. As I said, I don't even want to think about the prospect of losing on Saturday and getting knocked out after only two games. But going to the main question, the first question that you ask, um, I don't remember ever going to a World Cup in such a state of absolute hype. Everybody is pumped. Everybody got behind this team. It hasn't always been the case, whether because the manager wasn't very well liked in the past, there were cases like that, whether the team wasn't doing very well, uh, whether we couldn't find a rhythm in the qualifiers. So the optimism levels were not up there, but never in my life. I, I, I like to say I'm 11 World Cups old. I measure my, li- my life <laughs> and my age in World Cups. So I'm 11 World Cups old and I can tell you, I've never seen such a um, unanimous backing from the general public, the media, especially the media, because normally it's the opposite. They're never getting behind the team. I've never seen the general public, the fans and everybody 100% behind the team. And I still think everybody is. Argentina just needed a little spark to go back to being normal and go back to being hopeful of, of it becoming the World Cup that Messi deserves to win. Sebastian Garcia. Wow. These must be tense days in Argentina as they uh, as they wait to see if that was just a kind of a momentary blip, just the fruit of one or two fine line offside decisions or something more serious. Mexico, to be fair, their opponents didn't look too exciting in their clash with Poland. No, needed a penalty save, of course, to, to uh, keep a clean sheet. I think this is not one of the best current generations of, of Mexican players. Um, and again, I think as... The best part for me, I think enjoying when you get these big upsets isn't just that game itself, but then the knock-on effect that it has and the jeopardy now. So Argentina needing to go out and, you know, they can't even afford to really drop any more points. They need to be winning games. And I think that's really going to be good for some of the opposition that they're playing, um, knowing that you can just really be there to spoil um, as much as for your own success to really sort of have a downfall with these big nations. Crikey. And it is the beauty of tournament football because that was a freak result in a way. I mean, obviously a a fantastic achievement for Saudi Arabia, but Saudi Arabia's XG in that game was 0.14. Um, and Argentina's was 
2.2. Um, so, you know, had any one of those very narrow offside decisions, right. some of them, one of them at least was extremely narrow, gone Argentina's way, they probably would have won that game quite comfortably, but yeah. they didn't. They lost it. And because it's such a big country, because there is so much focus on them, that, that pressure is there. And while Mexico aren't quite as as swashbuckling as some previous Mexico teams we've seen at the World Cup. They are, you know, very experienced, very well organised. They generally look after the ball quite well. They can be a frustrating team. So, yeah, it could be an early one. All right. It'll be interesting to see as well how Saudi Arabia fare when they take on Poland, if they can leave Lewandowski, you're wandering around offside, uh, as well as they did the uh, Argentine attackers. Uh, anyway, all of that will be happening on Saturday. And, of course, we'll be back here Saturday night to review it all for you. Tonight, may I say thank you very much to Liam and Tom and Paul Tenorio and Omija Lilly and, of course, Sebastian Garcia as well. You, listener, especially you, and a bit for producer Charlie too. We'll be back Saturday night. Hope you'll be joining us then. Bye-bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app, discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.